Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of American Billiard Radio, your official online radio show of the PartyPoker.com 2014 Moscone Cup Tournament. It is March 20th, 2014. My name is Mr. Bond, and I will once again be your host with the most. And we have another great show for you. We're going to be talking to uh, Bobby Cotton LeBlanc here shortly. But uh, before we do, I was just going to point out to you that uh, we got a lot of pool coming up here. We just came off of the Super Billiard Expo. Lots of uh, action going on out there in New Jersey. But of course, that's not the only place that uh, people are playing pool these days. It's uh, it's going to be a hot weekend coming up. Out in Inglewood, uh, Colorado, there's the Nick Varner Classic is going on this weekend. Got the Big Time Classic in Spring, Texas. Got the Andy Mercer Memorial in Vegas. We got the Midwest Bar Table Nine Ball Classic in Indianapolis. Got the uh, Maryland State Nine Ball Bar Box Championship. Got the ACS Illinois State Pocket Billiard Championship going on in St. Charles. The Tri State Tour Stop 11 at Steinway Billiards in Astoria. Got the Pure XQ's All American Tour Stop 26, Davenport, Iowa. Predator Pro Am Tour Stop 7, Orange, California. I mean, there is a lot of pool going on. You know, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, ladies and gentlemen. Support your local tours. Support your favorite players. It's a, it, it's a, it's a good time to do so. Now, on with the show. Our first guest has uh, been a road player. You know, you've heard about him. Those mysterious characters that... Uh, Traveled the country, gambling, playing pool, staying up until all hours of the morning, chasing women. Oops, did I say that? Yep. Winning money, hopefully. Losing money, unfortunately. It's a lost art. It's a rare breed, and they're dying off, I tell you. The, uh, the hustlers are, uh, are fading away into history. And uh, we have uh, one of the last remaining Mohicans left on the uh, on the planet here. He uh, is an author, wrote a book called Confessions of a Pool Hustler, which you can pick up a copy of at confessionsofapoolhustler.com. He also was advisor to uh, several TV productions, man of many talents, Mr. Bobby Cotton LeBlanc. How's it going, Cotton? How's the uh, the weather down there in Vegas? I'm doing good today. The weather's beautiful. It's like in the mid-70s, and I'm enjoying this nice weather. Awesome, awesome. We finally, the, the winter finally broke up here. The uh, the birds are starting to come back, so uh, I got a little bit of hope left in me that uh, we'll finally see warm weather again. Um, yeah, I know. It gets mighty cold back there, I know, for sure. Yeah, it does. It does. And we've had a brutal one this, this year, too. Uh, it's just 
all over the north and east, everybody's been getting hammered. So uh, I think we're all ready for some warm stuff. Um, how did you get the nickname Cotton? You know, it's a funny story how that come about. And um, how I got the name Cotton, I was at a pool tournament with uh, a guy that took me under his wing. He was probably the best player in all of the southern part of the United States. His name was Richard Austin. So we were at a pool tournament in Jackson, Mississippi in 1965, and the owner of the pool room name was Glenn Baker. He had a girlfriend named Vivian. So Richard, my friend Richard, he was like a playboy type of guy, and he wound up hooking up with her, and uh, she came back to Memphis with us because we were living in Memphis. I was in Memphis at the time, and he brought her back, and I had long blonde hair, like back then, back in the course early 60s you know, with the Beatles, and I had long blonde hair, and she said, she 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 gave me the name Cotton. It was kind of funny. So that's how it came about. <laughs> and then, yeah, and as the years went by, many, many, many years ago, I ran into Keith McCready, who's a friend of mine. He started the Bobby Cotton thing. He'd always say, what's up, Bobby Cotton? So Keith kind of gave me that Bobby Cotton type thing. But my nickname was Cotton for all the years I was traveling around playing pool when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, so it was because of your hair then, huh? Yeah, because I had long blonde hair. I was kind of wavy, and, you know, uh -huh. I guess being in the South, you know. You got some good hippie hair, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was funny. All right, well, that's cool, man. Um, I'm about knee-deep into your book here, um, Confessions of a Pool Hustler. What made you uh, decide to want to write that? Well, you know, the reason I wrote the book is, first of all, I've told all these pool stories to people, you know, for the last 20 years, 10, 10 years, all my buddies. And uh, they'd always say, man, you ought to write a book because these stories are so crazy because they're some of the stories, that, as you know, is really, really wild. And yeah. and, and, the, and my friends would say, Robert, you know, you got to, people would love this. So then the reason I wrote the book was, is um, back in like 92 or 93, I was hanging around this pool room in L.A. called the Hollywood Athletic Club. And I was uh, hanging out there every day gambling, you know, trying to make money. And I was talking to Mars Callahan and Chris Corso about, all these stories, you know, about the book and you know about about my travels, and they decided to write a a, a, a movie script about my life story like that, and it was called mm -hmm. Pool All Junkies. Wow. So now, after about ten rewrites of the script, the movie came out. It was completely different from how it started because every time somebody opted not to get the script, they'd always change it. Yeah. So then I thought, well, I, I got to write a book to you know to where it's where all the real stuff comes out, not the movie because. The movie wasn't like the real story, so that's why I originally that's why I wrote the book. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, this is true. Uh, the movie is quite a bit different, um, and I guess that they have to put it together in a cohesive. You know, it, it can't just be story after story if it's a movie. You know what I mean? So that's yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think changed it around so much, but the movie yeah. was still entertaining. It was it was fun to do. I, I got to hang out with. Christopher Walken and those guys for like a couple of months, so it was it was a lot of fun. You know, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. What uh, do you miss it? Do you miss traveling around like that? You know, I think about that all the time, and it's uh, it's it's a tough life, you know. And I miss it. I miss it a lot, and then I don't miss it. You know, it's a uh, it's hard. It's a twenty four hour a day, seven day. You never get to rest, no matter how much money you make. You can never really relaxed because you're always you got to stay in practice for your next game 
you know, and you can't go out and spend money because you got you have to keep your bankroll intact, you know, yeah. to where you have money to gamble on. Sure. So I do I do miss traveling, the freedom of getting up in the morning and saying, well, I just go to Georgia today or California or whatever. So I miss that part of it. Yeah. But it's you know, but back then when I was doing it, gas was forty five cents a gallon, a dollar a gallon, and motels <laughs> were twelve dollars. You know, so yeah. it's a different day now. It's like. 200 a day just for expenses so you can't really do it anymore successfully you know yeah this is very true it's a different world that's for sure yeah it's a different just a different planet now man now what uh what do you think i mean hmm is it possible to do today do you think that you know it could it be done if somebody just set their mind to it I don't think there's any chance in the world to do it today. And I've talked to a lot of young players at these tournaments. I, they always want to talk to me about pool from, from back in the day, you know. And um, you, the reason why you couldn't do it nowadays is because of the different – there's too many ways to get information on people, how they play. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. cell phones and this, and there's different forms. You can get on there and ask somebody, well, how does so-and-so play? And they'll tell you right away. Yeah. And that's really, really killed all the action. You know, there's just no more action because of that. There's a few events during the year, like, you know, the Derby City, where people are there gambling like crazy. And a few people still, still well, there's no more stealing, put it that way. Yeah. You can't sneak up on anybody. If you, if you play somebody nowadays, it's a, it's a tough match. You know, yeah. there's no more sneaking up on anybody like that anymore. So. Yeah, this is very true. I wouldn't want to try to do it. I wouldn't want to do it again <laughs> in nowadays. You know, it's too tough. Well, yeah. yeah, this is true. And, the well, to a, to a certain extent, some of the laws have changed, too, where you could get away with certain things back then that, uh, that a, a guy could not necessarily get away with today. <laughs> um, you know, you wouldn't believe the stories I've had concerning the different police in different cities and states. I can't count the times I've gotten stopped driving, drinking a beer with an expired driver's license, and the cops will say, I'll just go and just be careful. they just let you go. Right. You know, I mean, back then, it was, just, you know, back then there was no, uh, it was just easier. I mean, nobody cared what you did back then. It was kind of, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. And also back then, everybody carried a gun, for example. You know, they, now you get caught with a gun, you, you might go to get time for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But back then, everybody had a gun. Yeah, absolutely. A, it was like the Wild West back in the '60s and the early '70s. It was it was a fun time, you know. I had a great time doing it, you know. But uh, it's it's tough now. I wouldn't want to try it. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. I know what you mean. The um, yeah, they take that a lot of that stuff. The guns, the the drinking and driving, and you know, all of it is taken a whole lot more serious and not that that has anything really to do with pool, but it has to do obviously with the lifestyle of being on the road and out at the bars and the whole scene, you know, is it's, it's different this, these days. That's for, that's for sure. Um, well, also I'll tell you the big difference, you know, you know, I'll tell you something else that, you know, back, for example, in the sixties in Detroit, the pool room, you go in the pool room, there might be five or ten million dollars in the pool room, people gambling that kind of money. But back then, all this giant money, a lot of it was being gambled by dope dealers that were selling big time drugs. <laughs> yeah. And and the and the penalty if they got caught, they they might just get like probation. I mean, you know, so yeah. the guy could get caught with a truckload of drugs and they'd just well give him like a, a week's pro you know, I mean a fine, you know, and that's where all the money was coming from yeah. was the drug money. You know, I mean yeah, and that that's gone, you know. So there's not as much money 
in pool now as there was then because all the, you know, pool parties ain't going to work. They don't have any money, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, the, and the backers, you know, you know, it's a different different day. Yeah. Well, here's a good question. Do you think, um, you know, if you could wave a magic wand, do you um, do you think? It's a good thing or a bad thing that this is that that type of uh, action is is over with. Well, that's a really tricky question, and I'll it tell is. You. It is. Um, here's the deal. You know, here's what I think. I tell you who was a who was a real I guess the words proponent who who favored the seedy side of pool was my friend who's dead now, Grady Matthews. Grady mm-hmm. was a you know he, he promoted gambling. He promoted the seedy side. And every time I meet like a business person, like a head of a company or president of a company or whatever, or some guy that works for a living, the, these big shot working guys, all they want to hear about is the CD side of pool. That's what they, that's what they excites them because right. their life is, their life sometimes is boring and they kind of live through me, you know what I mean? Hearing yeah. these stories and everything. So yeah. I think, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I kind of think the pool gambling is good myself. You know, I mean, I don't know. They're trying to get it like to where it's like golf, you know, and these tournaments with the tuxedos, and it hasn't worked yet. You know, so we'll <laughs> see what happens on down on down the road. You know, yeah. I tell you what, if they could ever get to where it was like online betting on pool, that would that would spark interest because, like, say for example, with me watching basketball, I would only watch a basketball if, basketball game if I'm betting on it. If I'm not betting yeah. on it, I'm not watching it. You know what I mean? Right. And that's right. probably be the same with pool. You know, I mean, you have a reason where somebody wants, where you want somebody to win. You know, or else, or else, why does it matter? You know? Exactly. Exactly. And I've tried that's to. That's what I think. Seriously. Well, no, I agree with you. And and it's not specifically that it has to be seedy. It's just the fact that. And I've tried to pound this into people's heads on multiple occasions. It's given people a reason to care. Whether it be, yeah. um, if it's, you know, the wager may be the reason behind it, or, you know, there may be other other reasons behind it, but whatever the case, when there's money on the line, um, that's when you get people start looking into the players and saying, hey, what kind of guy is this? How does he play? You know, it's it, bottom line is it's another reason for people to, to, to bring interest into the game um, as far as who wins or loses and why should we watch this you know just like you said with the basketball thing yeah i tell you what else like people always wonder why pool is not as popular and here's my opinion and this is this to me is so true for example like back in back in the 60s where i was i went on the road when i was 15 years old 1965 and back then nobody had cameras nobody was walking around carrying a camera like you have now on the cell phone so yeah. like for example in memphis um uj puckett came to memphis one time utley puckett was his name he was from fort worth old timer he's of course he's dead too he'd be 100 and he'd still live but he died maybe 10 years ago whatever he came to memphis robbed everybody in Memphis playing pool at the pool rooms, left town, and nobody ever knew who he was. Everybody kept saying, who was that old man that was here? Yeah. Nobody ever knew who he was. So right. it, it, it was like a mysterious gunfighter coming to town, just like those old Italian Clint Eastwood Westerns. The guy had no name, you know what I mean? He'd come right. to town, nobody knew who he was. You know, nowadays, I know what Johnny Archer had for breakfast yesterday. I know what Shane's <laughs> having for dinner tonight. You know, and, and after a while, it gets boring. You know, yeah. what I mean, there's no, there's no mystery. The mystery, the the gunfighter mystery is gone, and I think that's, I think that's. I remember real quick, 
the, one of the one of the greatest pool players of all times was from Houston, Texas. His name was Greg Stevens. Mm-hmm. His nickname was the Animal, and you can research him because this guy he beat everybody that went to Houston back in the all through the entire sixties of the decade of the sixties. He beat everybody that went to Houston: Luther Lasker, Richie Florence, Ronnie Allen, mm-hmm. uh, on and on and on. He never got beat there in Houston. And I remember the first time I saw him, I was in Dallas. And uh, he come in the pool room. I was like, "Oh my God, that's Greg Stevens!" I was so I was only 15 years old. I was so excited because I had heard about him, you know. And I was like, "That's really him!" You know, I, I felt like I saw Santa Claus or something. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it was exciting. Nowadays, where's the excitement? You pick up a mag. I mean, how many times are you going to see Shane on the cover of a magazine? And I love Shane, but I mean, dude, I mean, after watching seeing his face a thousand times. There's no more excitement, you know what I mean, for right, me. That's right, just for me. Right. No, you know, I know what you mean. Matter of fact, we were just talking about that uh, with the uh, this match that just went down between Lou and, and uh, John Barton is simply the fact that uh, so much barking was going on that everybody had picked sides, you know. It was like, well, I want this yeah. guy to win or I want this guy to want, you know lose. <clears throat> Excuse me, because they had a reason to, you know. It wasn't yeah. necessarily anything that they had done, you know, on on purpose. It, but they did yeah. something to make people pick sides. You know, they had a, a winner. Somebody wanted a winner, and somebody wanted a loser. I don't know. I don't know either one of the guys just a little bit. You know, but I've been reading about it on different websites and stuff about them playing. <laughs> pretty pretty cool, actually. Yeah. No, it was. Well, it's a classic American tale. You know, it's it's a little bit, a tiny little piece, of that same sort of thing that was going on back in the hustling days where there was it was you know rumors and innuendo there was this you know wolfing and talking smack and you know speculation and everything and the suspense was built before the you know before they even walked into the room so there that was really what uh, a lot of these pool matches need a little more of to be honest with you uh, is you know some reason or not to get behind somebody, you know whether it be love yeah. or hate. You know you either love the guy or and, and you and you want him to win or you hate the other guy and you want to see him get beat. That's what it boils down exactly. to. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But all the colorful guys are are dropping off. You know what I mean? Danny Jones, another close friend of mine, died a few years back. Who I hung around with for about a year. It was a uh, cornbread red. There'll never be another one like. Do you ever meet him or ever know anything about him? I met him just like briefly, basically. Oh, he was amazing. I was with him every day for like a year in Detroit. He was amazing, you know. Yeah. But that's what I hear. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, uh, we will talk a little bit more about uh, your travels. All right. Sounds good. Okay, we'll be right back. And we're back, everybody, and I'm talking with uh, Bobby Cotton LeBlanc, and uh, we're we're talking to uh, him about some of his different uh, travels uh, in uh, back in the day. You know, uh, I was reading through your book there, and um, 
you know, it's kind of funny because a lot of the places that you mention, at least some of the ones in the South anyway, they kind of struck a chord with me. Uh, I was raised in, in uh, South Texas. Uh, I also have some friends and family in Southern Mississippi. And of course, now I'm up here in, in the Chicago area. And, and which, you know, as you know, those were three different places where there was a lot of pool playing going on, specifically here in Chicago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think from all the years I traveled, I've spent a lot of time in the South, like Mississippi and Texas and Alabama and all that. And I tell you, they gamble more there than anywhere at those hillbillies. They like it. They, that's all they do down there is gamble. You know, so. <laughs> but there, there's, there was always, Chicago was the best city in the country for years. Probably 10 years before my time was when it was really good, like in the 50s. Yeah. Like I was like a little kid, but I know people that was there in the 50s. And every bar you can go in, every bar there went five hundred dollars. It was amazing. Yeah, and just, that's when bar tables just first. Actually, that's when bar tables first came out. Was like in the fifties, right? And everybody in the bars betting ten, twenty dollars a game. So it was pretty amazing back then, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Freddie said that you spent uh, some time up here. I have a, one of the, probably one of the funniest stories in my book. I have to tell you. Um, I'll start at the, at the beginning of it. And I was in, I was in Huntsville, Alabama in 1973. And I met a guy down there who steered pool players around who was a real tough guy. His name was Alabama Al, actually. So, right. So I made money with him. I started dating his sister-in-law who was a dancer there in town. So anyway, a year or two later, Sandy comes to California to see me. That was a dancer. Stayed with me a couple of months. She goes back to Chicago like six months later. And about six months at six months after that, I get a phone call from Alabama Al, and he's in Chicago. He says, "Robert, you got to come to Chicago. There's like everybody's gambling really, really high in these bars. You can come here and win five or ten thousand dollars easily." I said, "Well, uh, I had me, and my friend Craig. We'll drive over. I'll be there in like a week." So we get in the car, drove to Chicago, and uh, when I first got to Chicago, Sandy was there, the dancer. So immediately, of course, I hadn't seen her in like six months, and uh, she was a real cutie. So we spent the night together. Didn't get much sleep, of course. I'm 24 <laughs> years old. So like a day and a half later, a day and a half later, my friend Alabama Al says, I got a place where we can go. He says, but uh, most pool players don't go there because it's like the roughest place in Chicago, and everybody's scared to go there because there's a lot of there's been killings in the place, and there's always like major brawls and everything. I said, well, let's yeah. go. I don't care. You know, I've never been too afraid of different stuff like that. So, and plus Al could handle himself up to a problem. Ha you know, something happened. <laughs> so we went to a place called Mock's Fun Casino in Stone Park, okay. Illinois, which is, you know, suburb at the store by the racetrack, not far from Franklin Park. Yeah. So this, this was a country Western bar and it was on uh, North Avenue in, Ma in Mannheim. So the place got to hop in about twelve. It was most people didn't get there till midnight, yeah. and they would close. The, it was open. It would it would close at five o'clock in the morning. They would they would clean the place up and reopen at six. They were closed for one hour. Yeah. So now, so now me and Al and my friend Craig, we get to the uh, mocks, and me and Craig's got probably about a five thousand dollar bankroll, which is a pretty good sized bankroll for this is nineteen seventy four, right? Mm. So they call. And I was a little tired from being with Sandy the night before. So anyway, they called down the best player in Chicago at the time was a kid who was my age. We were both about 24 years old. His name was Tommy Spencer, right? So they get him down there, and we start playing nine ball on the bar table in, in Mark's 
fun casinos. They call it casinos a country western bar with they had two bar tables and a big dance floor. Yeah. And uh, the bar table they had in there was called Irving K. And it had a cue ball about the size of a bowling ball and had like <laughs> extremely tight pockets. It's like they're like sh- just triple shim pockets on this bar table, all right? So now me and Tommy start playing, and I'm playing about 85% of my game, and Tommy's playing perfect, right? So we're playing $100 a game, which was a gigantic bet in 1974. So I get 4000 stuck to this kid, right? He's got me 4000 loser. Mm. And Tommy, this is, Tom's, this is the funniest story ever. So t- we've been playing for probably about like eight hours, nine hours at this time. I'm 4000 stuck. And we got like a thousand left, right? So uh, Tommy's got a backer named Tony, and he, who was a nutcase. And every time Tommy would run out, Tony would jump up and say, "Tits, tits!" Like he's like nuts, you know. This nut, this kid, this guy's nutty. <laughs> so now he's not gonna believe. So now I'm four thousand stuck, and I can feel myself starting to. I was like in a coma for like hours. I couldn't make a ball, and Tommy's playing perfect, and I'm dogging it, you know. So finally, I can feel myself coming out, you know, getting where I'm getting in the zone. And Tommy Spencer, the, the guy I'm playing, goes to the bathroom. So while he's in the bathroom, I told his backer, I said, Tony, I said, look, I said, I, I said, I'm getting beat here. I said, but I want to bet some more money. I said, but I need some odds on the money. And I swear to God, this is a true story. So Tony says, well, what do you want? I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I said, I'll bet you another $50 a game on the side, but you got to lay me two to one on the money. And he says, yes. So, but Tommy Spencer doesn't know this. So now Tommy comes out of the bathroom. I swear to God, true story. Tommy comes out of the bathroom, and it was like five in the morning. They closed the place. We went to go eat, came back, and we played like another 12 hours, and we're going back and forth for like five hours. So Tommy's assuming that he's still probably about $4,000 ahead because we've been going back and forth for like six hours, right? So he goes over to Tony, and he says, Tony, I'm getting kind of tired. He says, maybe we should pull up. He says, I know I'm like 4000 ahead. He says, and... uh we can play some more tomorrow. And Tony says, well, we're not 4,000 ahead. Tommy says, well, we've been going back and forth for like six hours. Why aren't we? Tony says, well, actually, we're 3,500 stuck. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's me, see, I swear to God, true story. Now, because he's laying me two to one every game. Every, and Tommy doesn't know this. So now I'm like close to 4,000 like a four winner in this, in this joint, right? So now it's the funniest thing ever. So now... Tommy says, what are you doing? And Tony said, well, I'm laying them 150 every game on the money. You know, so anyway, so I wound up, I wound up winning like 4500 close to $5,000 that night. So while we're playing, while we're playing, there's this uh, beautiful, beautiful girl that was there. Her name was Diane, and she's got cold black hair, and she's gorgeous, right? Probably 25 years old, just bright, real pretty blue eyes. And um, at the time, I was smoking. She was getting my cigarettes for me and getting my quarters for the table, bringing me my ice water, Cokes. I don't drink when I'm playing alcohol. So when the match was over, I had one like close to like 4,800. When the match was over, Diane comes walking up, and I said, here, this is for you. She said, what's that? So I gave her $300. She said, I can't take this. I said, no, you know, I appreciate you taking care of me for like the last 20 hours while I'm playing. Here's 300 So she comes back five minutes later. She's with a guy that looked exactly like the boxer, Tommy Morrison. Good-looking, blonde-headed guy, curly hair, tough-looking, you know, kind of rough-looking in the face. She says, I want you to meet my husband. This is Tommy Mock. So come to find out that Diane was Tommy Mock's wife, and Tommy owned the place, right? So, uh, yeah. So Tommy was connected with the syndicate, whatever you want to call it, the mafia, the syndicate, or whatever. He was, like, connected with the syndicate. And he told me, he says, Robert, 
he introduced himself to me. And Tommy Mock is a real bad dude. I mean, like, really bad, right? And he says, uh, he said, you're the first pool player ever come in here and won money and gave my girlfriend a tip for taking care of you. He says, I'll tell you what you can do. He says, anything you want done in this town, he says, just see me and I'll get, I'll make sure it happens. <laughs> I'm like, real. I'm, I'm have you got that far in my book yet? Uh, no, I have not. Yeah, and it's a true story. He says, anything you want, he says, is yours in this town. He says, all you got to do is ask me. He says, come down tomorrow night and have a few drinks. I says, for sure. So the next night I go in there, it's a big country western place. They had a band and everything. So me and Tommy Mott, my friend Craig, and a couple other rough guys are sitting there by the dance floor. And Tommy says, uh, oh, you know, are you here by yourself? He says, are you married? I said, no, I'm divorced. I just got divorced like six months ago or whatever. He said, well, which one of these girls you like out here? I says, well. What do you mean, which one I like? He says, well, pick one you like. And I says, well, I'm really attracted to that blonde sitting over there. She's like 20 years old or whatever. I said, but she's got a boyfriend. He said, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> 30 seconds later, the girl's sitting in my lap. <laughs> he said, that's how we do things here. So it, I, I, it was, let me tell you, Dave, it was wonderful. I thought I died and went to heaven. I mean, it was, it, and I, and I, I could do whatever I wanted to do. And sadly enough, you know, about... Four years later, probably, I don't know the date, maybe 77 or 78, he was coming. He owned another place called the Stable Club, which was on the corner of Lake Street in Mannheim, a really nice country place. Didn't mm. have any pool tables. And yeah. he was coming home one night, and, uh, and he, got, of course, got murdered out in front of his house. Yeah. They, yeah. Shot, him like 20, they shot him like 20 times. But uh, oh, me and yeah. Tommy was really good friends, yeah. We, I don't know if you ever knew him or heard of him, but I think Freddie, I think Freddie Benavega knew him, you know. But, yeah, yeah. But, but but this was a rough bar. All the all oh, the yeah. New York gangsters, all the gangsters on there, and they all were they all were friends of mine. Actually, all the gangsters, and they liked me, you know. So <laughs> pretty much, I had the run of things for a while. One night I'm one night I'm I'm out driving, drinking, and the cops pull me over, and they said, uh, is, "Is this your car?" I said, "Yeah." They they checked my trunk, and uh, they found a gun a gun in my trunk, and they just let me go. They said, "Now your friend of Tommy just." going down the road you know it was a pretty it was a fun time back then uh well i can tell you that what you're i mean i i mean obviously i wasn't there but uh this is something a lot of people don't don't uh, know about the past of chicago once capone was out of the scene uh and his underlings sort of took over for him they moved uh-huh. all their uh organized crime went out uh to the suburbs and they had yeah. these uh, uh, places like what you're talking about, uh, especially that area that you're talking about. And and the the joke was that you can you used to can anymore, but used to uh, you could do or get anything that you wanted on North Avenue somewhere. That's all there oh, was yeah. to it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. they had their organized crime guys out there running uh, the uh, pinball and the jukebox. Um, what do you oh, call yeah. it? Um, there's a Racket, I guess, is what it was. But basically, they would pay uh, for their people in their turf to be able to have uh, pinball and jukeboxes in certain bars, oh, and not in other bars. Here's what people don't understand either. Like, for example, say you, and I know this. I know people that's tried this. I, a matter of fact, uh, Ray King and Cotton McGuire, who's the two baddest guys in the whole that part of the world for years. Cotton got like seventy years for bank robbery. He just got out about four or five years ago. He's living in uh, somewhere in the Carolinas now. But anyway, 
if you had a bar in Chicago, say you opened up a little small bar mm-hmm. and you went out and purchased a bar table, a pool table, and tried to put it in your bar, right. that wasn't happening. You had to go through the outfit. You had to go through the syndicate. Right. They put in all the vending. They, it was their vending machines, and you got half, and they got half. If you tried to put one in there on your own, they'd just come in there and just burn your place down. Yeah, you couldn't. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's a fact, yeah. That's a fact. Oh, that's a fact. <laughs> it is a fact. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's yeah. what I was referring to. The guys that they had their coin op rackets is uh, for a long oh, yeah. time, a long time. That, that and around was, the yeah, airport that was all area too. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, uh, let me uh, get out of your hair. I do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us uh, and giving us some fun stories. That was good stuff. Yeah, and let's maybe we'll do this again sometime because I've got about another hundred stories that you won't believe. <laughs> That your viewers, your listeners will really like, because I mean, there's some crazy stuff that went on, yeah. And that around that time, I'll have to tell you about it one day. Yeah. Well, so. hopefully, we can do it. You know, we can get together in person sometime. You know, either I'll get down there, or you can come back up here, and we can uh, shoot the shit for a little while. Yeah, for sure, David. Really, I really enjoyed that. It'd be a lot of fun. All right, man. All right. Well, good luck to you in 2014, and uh, you take care. We'll talk to you again real soon. Okay, buddy. Okay. Thank you. This is Scott Lee, PBIA Master Instructor from Largo, Florida. And this is Randy Gatmaker, PBIA Master Instructor from Dallas, Texas. Welcome. Welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. And our topic this week is going to be about why come to pool school uh, versus buy books or videos, Randy. Yeah, DVDs, videos, books. There are a lot of them out there. So let me ask you a very serious question here, Scott. Do professional golfers, or a baseball pitcher, baseball batters, or quarterbacks, the, the cream of the crop, do they have uh, coaches, mentors, instructors? They sure do, Randy. Why? Because we can't see what we're doing. When we're performing it, it's hard for us to see it. So yeah, we. I think that the the perception versus reality thing here is is. Uh, quite apparent. It sure is. So let's take a, a DVD or a book. Uh, I like them. Oh. I, I got them all. I, I got a whole library of them. I love them. But there, there's something uh, um, inherently wrong here. Well, what is it? I mean in learning, not on the DVD. Well, there's certainly a lot of great information to be oh, derived yes, from yes. books and videos. But for each individual, if I have a particular question either about myself or about a process, how am I going to get an answer from a book or a video? To, to personalize it for you. Yes. Right. Because a book can't see you and, and answer you, and, and certainly a DVD can't. Well, you can look at the DVD and you can see how the person demonstrating it did it, but that still doesn't speak to how your body is built and how your arm well, mechanics to function. To your question, right. And how your brain works. We're all different. So, uh, I like to read a lot of poo books. And, and I just sat through a nice DVD, um, but an instructor. Uh, if, if we compare an instructor or a pool school to these things, uh, 
the major difference is what then? Well, number one, if we read a book, we're only going to retain about 20%. If we watch a video, uh, That's we're going yeah, to retain about 30%. But if we have hands-on training, where we're reading, writing, uh, seeing, talking, doing, we're going to have the highest rate of retention. We might retain 80 or 90 percent of oh. something that we learn. Oh, and in a pool school where we repeat it day after day after day, it could be 99 percent. Absolutely. And, that, and that's the biggest thing is that if we don't have a, a way to review what we're doing, we're going to forget it almost immediately. So if I get this right, the difference between pool school and a book DVD, everybody's got great information, but we get personalized in, in uh, our instruction. Exactly. It's it's geared to the individual. Nothing replaces one-on-one -on -one, hands-on instruction. Oh, I agree. In in all sports, right? In all sports, absolutely. Oh, that's great. And, and what a what a what a great thing to talk about. Uh, a great topic. Um, please join us next week when we're going to talk about the horse and the cart. The horse and the cart. The horse and the cart. Well, I'm going to be here. How about you? I'll be here too. This is Randy G. And this is Scott Lee. And this has been the One Minute Pool Instructor. Hello everybody, welcome to AZ Billiards on American Billiard Radio. I'm Mike Howerton. I'm very honored this week to be joined by a BCA Hall of Famer, winner of just about every title there is out there for a woman to win, Karen Kaur. Karen, how are you doing today? Very good. How are you, Mike? I'm not bad, not bad. Of course, I haven't just won a big event at uh, Valley Forge, so I think you're probably doing better than I am. Yeah, I was really excited with the win. Um, it was a real boost for me, to be honest. I played really solid, so it was nice nice to get the game back. Well, you had to play pretty solid. It, it came down to uh, a familiar face, you and Allison in the finals. Um, you know, as a fan on the outside, we see this big rivalry between you and Allison. Is it the same for you, and do you think it's the same for her? Um, I guess we're getting older. I guess it's a little bit different, but, uh, it, you know, it's been an amazing journey when you look back to think that, you know, we're both still playing Q sports. Started off, obviously, with snooker and that, and it's kind of, you know, maybe 30 years now, you know what I mean, since we've been competing against each other. So, um, yeah, it's, it's awesome, really. Well, you guys have definitely been uh, neck and neck for years there. Um there was a time when really any WPBA event came down to you or Allison. Nowadays, there's Kelly, there's all the players from Asia. Uh, can you tell us a little bit what that's like? Well, it's, it's great for the game, you know what I mean? That, um, there's such talent around the world, and, uh, you know, that's what's made Nine Ball, you know, so popular with everybody, you know, so... Um, you know, we have to, we go over to China quite a lot, and there's so many young young players over there that that, that play great pool. You know, that work really hard on their games, and 
you know, it's great to be part of it still. Well, when you mentioned part of it still, um, you were you were away from the game there for about a year from uh, middle of 2011 to middle of 2012. How close did we come to, to not having you as a part of the game anymore? Well, I came, I came back from the break and, you know, obviously there's less tournaments and a little bit tougher to make a living. So I was working in Bed Bath & Beyond for a while and, you know, to try and just see, you know, how, how the game was going to pan out here, you know. So, and then, uh, you know, I was grateful the opportunity came for straight shots to sponsor me and, Thankfully, I'm back on the road again, you know, playing pool, and it's what I love to do. And, you know, um, you know, without them, I guess uh, I'll be probably doing something else permanently by now, you know. Bed, bath, and beyond. You know, I I, I spend a little bit of time there shopping for the holidays. Um, I, I think I'd be pretty shocked to walk in the store and see uh, a BCA Hall of Famer behind the counter. Well, I got a few surprises. It, it kind of ended up being quite funny, to be honest. So, <laughs> but for the most part, I tried to keep it quiet, but it didn't work. <laughs> so fans recognized you when you were there? Yeah, they did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, side of you autographs, which is kind of comical. But anyway... <laughs> Yeah, usually they don't they don't stop people at there and and ask for an autograph while they're checking out. <laughs> well, you gotta do what you gotta do. You know what I mean, Mike? <laughs> Honestly, how how long had it been since the the last time you had had a nine to five job like that? Uh, well, pretty much. Um... Before I came to America in '98, I was working, working in England and that, um, and then decided with Julie Kelly to come to America and see what Alistair was up to. You know, winning everything because she came here like three years before I did in '95, and um, obviously went straight into being very successful. So we just try to follow suit, you know. So Allison was a was a snooker champion prior to you uh, in England, as far as I remember. Uh yeah. Um, my first tournament, I think I was like seventeen, and she was just a little bit older, and she just won the world and the UK championships. And the UK was my my first event, and uh, I I think I actually played Allison so in one of my first tournaments. So. Uh, you know, she was uh, number one and, and champion from an early age, you know, so. And that's where the rivalry all started, I guess. How long was it before, was there a, a time in your career when you finally stopped and, and said to yourself, I'm not chasing her anymore, I'm, I'm there, I'm, I'm equal with, with her, if not above her? Um, I never really, you know, looked at it like that, but like, um, my dad got sick and I used to work for him as a dental receptionist and, and I decided to sort of play snooker full time and, um, you know, I prepared myself for a year and a half, um, and it paid off. I won the world championships, my first world championships when I was 21. And that was really where, 
and you know, started to to believe that um, you know I could compete with the you know the best players that you know that were there at the time and that, and obviously, and still players, best players now. So, as I say, when you look back, and you know, when I won my first world title at 21, and you know, I just won a a big event last weekend. It's, it's just brilliant, really, to still be at the the level to be able to win. So. Comparing yourself to, there was that year when you won every WPBA event. Um, how close are you now to that level of play that you were at that time? Um, I guess I've made improvements really, but it's just the standard of the game is so much better. You know, the the girls break the balls a lot better. Um, stop making there's just more players that play at that level I guess you know so you know every time you you get a match it's a lot lot tougher match than it used to be you know what I mean so um, I'd say just the, the whole game is, is level has risen and it, it's good to know that you're still kind of riding with it you know what I mean so still learning still wanting to learn and improve on my game and and uh, that's good, like, you know, it's still exciting to be out there and playing. Karen, we're going to take a real short break. Um, we'll be right back. I want to ask you a little bit about the tournament you've got coming up this week. And also I want to ask you a little bit more about uh, your relationship with your sponsor. But we'll do that in just a minute, everybody. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. I'm talking with Karen Core today. Um, Karen, we were talking about your level of play and, and how you compare yourself. Is there a title that you haven't won that you still strive to win? Is there something that you feel you haven't yet accomplished in the game that still drives you? Uh, well, the World Championships, World Nine Ball Championships, has been in the final many times, but uh, I'm so close to winning that you know. But I haven't won. So yeah, the first one was when Julie Kelly won, lost nine eight, and I lost to Alison Fisher in the final, and Shumei Lu, and obviously more recently uh, Lu Xiaoxia beat me in the final in China in. Uh, 2009 so that's still my goal really to to win that event you know and that's what kind of keeps me going because I won you know the world snooker world English for the years and it'd be nice to obviously play nine ball last 15 years to finish off with winning the world title you know well the way you the way you describe it I I think I'll be selfish and and I apologize ahead of time, but I'll say that I'd rather that you not win it if winning it is kind of the way you describe it as, you know, you'd like to win that to, to cap off your career. And, and as a fan of the game, I'd rather not see you cap off your career. I'd rather see you there competing and winning for years and years. Yeah, I know what you mean, but yeah, just kind of complete the full circle, I guess, of events that's, 
out there to win, you know. Um, obviously, Alison's won it many times and, you know, won the tournament of champions and success with the BCA, you know. So, I, you know, it just, it, it would just complete everything with also being a Hall of Famer, you know. But I still, I, you know, I love the game. I love to compete and it would give me, I'd say, more energy knowing that I'd won it and especially at the level of play that's around these days, you know. I could kind of say it would drive me more, you know, if I can get that title. Now, I heard a funny story. Considering the success that you had in the BCA championships, the ones they had every year alongside the amateurs uh, in May, I think like the first four or five years that you played in that event, you won it, right? Yeah. So is there any truth to the story that the first year you didn't win it, they came out and gave you a voucher that you had to take to the casino window to turn in for cash, and you didn't know what to do with that voucher because you had always been paid with a cardboard check every year? Oh, um, yeah, probably. I can't remember, really. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, the, there's a number of ladies who I'm sure would love to be paid with a cardboard check, and the only thing you knew was that cardboard check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've still got some of them checks. Uh, I love love keeping stuff like that, you know. Oh, I imagine you've got a quite, uh, a quite full uh, trophy cabinet at home. Yeah, I've been lucky. Yeah, there's some lovely, lovely trophies I've won over the years, and yeah, I'll keep, keep them out and... And, uh, you know, just great memories, you know what I mean? What do you think is the, the title that you're the proudest of? Um, well, it's, it's tough on that one, isn't it? I guess cap, capping off um, the story in Eagle when I won all the events in 2001. And, uh, you know, the first time being player of the year and, and my dad was, uh, you know, he was still around to be able to share that success with me. Um, that really meant a lot, you know. So you're in Denver this weekend. You're getting ready to play in the Nick Varner Classic, right? I am, yes. Yeah, I arrived yesterday and uh, looking forward to playing, you know, playing 10 ball. Um, don't often play 10 ball, so I'm going to be practicing hard today working on that for the weekend. And that's an event that's being put on by your sponsors. You had mentioned them earlier at Straight Shots. Can you tell us a little bit about that relationship and how it came together? Yeah, I was just really fortunate. I was at the Turning Stone and um, uh, I got an email, you know, asking me about sponsorship and uh, kind of out of the blue and, you know, surprised really, you know what I mean? So... And, um, you know, I started talking with him and, it, you know, I was really excited to say I'm back on the road now playing pool full time and that's what I love to do and they've given me the opportunity to do that. So last week went in and, you know, one weekend before, sort of, it's great to just get my name out there and, and, you know, thankfully to them, you know, I'm able to be out there. So I'm very grateful to Kimberly Griffiths and Mark for, give me that opportunity. 
I haven't had the pleasure of meeting them yet, but they seem to be interested in more than just how they can sell a lot of pool cues online. You know, they look to be interested in how they can help promote the game and help benefit more than just the players that they're sponsoring. Um, is that what you see on your end? Um, yeah, it is my second time to Denver. When I was here in November, myself and Nick, we were at a, an, an event for the, the kids and and it was so well organized and the kids loved it and it's just exciting to see somebody putting in so much effort at the grassroots level, you know, um, and, you know, teaching in the right way too, you know. So they work really hard to develop, you know, kids' events and, uh, and we're, we're going to be meeting some of the kids tonight as well. So hopefully they'll be making an exciting night for them, you know. Because it's great because, like, I, I was fortunate to have good people around me when I was a kid and, you know, people to look up to and it's really exciting and, you know, I guess that's what's kept me in the sport, you know. Now I've got the chance to be able to give back to the kids and, you know, have some fun with them and see if we can teach them the right way, you know, with the game. So besides the event in Denver this weekend, what else do you have on your on your calendar coming up? Um. Got a few Josh tours coming up, and then uh, the China Open is in June, so I'll be getting ready for that. And then the World Championships in August, so those are the two main focuses. But there's a lot of um, other events on the new tour, and the Northeast is pretty good for for events. So you know, I use that to get sharpened up again, and you know, see if we can get some more wins behind me. Will we see you at Turning Stone this year? Yeah, so definitely, yeah, I spoke to Mike, yeah, I love that event, and for some reason, you know, I play really well, and more relaxed there, and, you know, I get great support there, so that really kind of gees you up, so Mike's always been really good to myself over the years, so, yeah, I'm going to definitely be there for that event. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you out there. Uh, good luck this weekend in Denver. We hope to, to see you continue your winning ways from uh, Valley Forge. Thanks very much, Mike. Yeah, I'm looking forward to taking the guys on again. <laughs> <laughs> they may not be looking forward to that, but you can. <laughs> no, <laughs> be practicing hour today for it, don't worry. All right, well, I won't take up any more of your time, Karen. Good luck this weekend, and hopefully we'll talk to you further down the road. That's great. Thanks very much, Mike. See you soon. Thanks, Karen. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Go Play Pool app featured room of the week here on American Billiard Radio. Today I'm talking to Gino Hill down at the Rum Runner Lounge in Las Vegas. How are you doing, Gino? Great, thank you. Good. So, uh, a little history lesson on the Rum Runner. Well, the, the this is the 24th tournament we've had. The first one actually is called the Spring uh, Spring Imitation Shortly after that, Andy Mercer passed away, and he was very, very, uh, well, he helped us out a lot in the first tournament. So we named it the Andy Mercer Tournament from mm-hmm. that year following, and he was the one of the founders of the Southern Nevada Nine Ball Association in Southern Nevada. Gotcha. Do you guys have any leagues or um, regular weekly tournaments down there? Oh, yeah we, yeah, yeah, we have Southern Nevada Nine Ball, we have TAP, we have APA, we have, we have a lot of leagues. Awesome. 
Um, I know I love coming into your room. You guys, you guys have one of the the best little little rooms that no one, you know. Yep. You'd never know it was there unless you're a pool player type thing. I don't know. I yeah. <laughs> well, we keep we keep we work hard to keep our equipment up and in good, the best shape, and uh, and because of that, we have a real good pool following. Yeah, you guys, you guys have great equipment. I love the diamonds. Um, so tell everybody about uh, you know food and and the other amenities that you have you offer. Well, we have a we have a full service bar, of course, and then we have a 24-hour restaurant adjacent to the bar. And our, our big sellers are our build-your-own burgers and our wings. We sell over a ton and a half wings a month, and uh, we sell a lot, a lot, a lot of burgers. <laughs> yeah, I love your burgers. They're delicious. I can't wait to get down there and have one this weekend. Any other amenities that you guys offer to your players and customers? Yeah, we're open 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> it's a nice amenity when you come from out of town. Right. So um, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you and, and where they can find the Rum Runner. Well, the Rum Runner is uh, two miles east of the MJM Hotel right on Tropicana, Tropicana Spencer. Their phone number is 702-736-6366. And just about every cab driver in town knows where we are. <laughs> and like I said, we're just a short trip off the strip. Awesome, Dino. Um any other any other big events that you you guys hold during the year? Yeah, well, we just got done with our B player tournament, uh-huh. which is a, a held for the local players only, so we can judge your status. And uh, it was a very successful tournament, sixty four players, and a little Calcutta of about twenty two thousand. Wow! And, uh, yeah, it was very successful. And then after the Andy Mercer, we have the women's Western. Uh, for the fifth year now, it's a charity tournament here in town. So it's, that's the weekend after the Andy Mercer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always been wanting to play that, but it always falls on the on the same date as my son's birthday. So <laughs> maybe this year I can make it because it's like the weekend before. So uh, <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, if you are in Vegas and you're looking for a great place to play pool, make sure you uh, you head down to the Rum Runner Lounge there on Tropicana and uh, go see Gino and all the other great staff down there. You can find them on the Go Play Pool app. We're going to have a limited profile up for them, so you can find them there and get in touch with them. And make sure you download the free app. It's uh, available on Android and iOS. And if you're a room owner and you're looking for a great way to advertise, it's affordable to advertise through Go Play Pool. You get the first 30 days free. And unlike a newspaper, you know that the people that look at the Go Play Pool app are looking for rooms just like yours. Yeah. And also, if uh, if you're looking for a way to promote your room, get in touch with us because we do these podcast interviews for free. And that's okay. a great way to promote the room. And, uh, Dino, I thank you for taking the time out of your day to get on the phone with me. My pleasure, Marianne. My pleasure. Awesome. Well, I will see you this weekend. Okay. I look forward to seeing you. All right. Have a great day. I'll, I'll, I'll buy the first one, okay? Awesome. Sounds okay. good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Yeah. Thank you so much. You bet. Bye-bye. And thank you for joining us for another edition of the Go Play Pool app featured room of the week. Thanks to American Billiard Radio for all your support, and we will see you guys next time.
Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is Mark Cantrell with the Legends and Champions Report, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. And today, um, looking at AZ Billiards forums and looking at the uh, internet, we saw that the U.S. Open have sent out a press release. And I'm fortunate enough to have the man himself behind the U.S. Open, Mr. Barry Berman, with us. How are you doing today, Barry? Mark, thank you very much for um, um, this opportunity to speak to you and um, and the pool world. I uh, really appreciate it. No problem at all. I'm sure that, you know, with the changes that have come across here, sometimes you can't really get out everything that you want to say in a press release. And so I figured this would be a good opportunity to answer a couple of questions, concerns that you may have or other people may have. Well, um, I have most of the answers. I'm and sure you do. If anybody's got them, you've got them, right? Well, well, let me just say this. Not necessarily, but I have a lot of them, most of them, let's say, because of the feedback that I have received of late, which is, I have to admit, uh, I did not re- know the, how the feedback would be on, on uh, the initial press release a week ago of what to do about this year's U.S. Open, because... I was stymied on what to do, and I have to say the um, um, response is was and is overwhelmingly wonderful and supportive. And you know, everyone well, that, needs, everyone that, needs strength to, to carry on. Well, I'll tell you something. I, I just this is my personal opinion, and I appreciate what you have done to this point for the pool world. To run a consecutive U.S. Open, which I think is maybe one, if not arguably one of the most prestigious tournaments in the world, to win. And to be able to consecutively do that and consistently do that for 39 years, my hat's off off to you, sir. That's pretty awesome for you. That's showing both of our ages, Mark. Thank you. Uh, This will be our 39th, uh, and, you know, so to make sure you're very good at math, I started when I was seven years of age. So now you know my age. Isn't that great? Hold on a second. You you didn't start the U.S. Open when you were seven years of age. I, I wish that was the truth. But no. <laughs> I started the U.S. Open when I was 30 or 31. Now I'm showing my age. Right. Well, you you, you did throw me there for a second. I was I was I doing the math in my head. <laughs> I will, you know, I was just checking on your math to see if you're doing okay. And, and and also check it on your brain to see if that was working okay. And he's uh, never he's not worked I, okay in a long time, Barry. Hey, I had you fooled for a minute though. You didn't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually really impressed. I'm like, this is a story I've never heard. Well, I do try to tell that fib once in a while. It just you know, it, it doesn't work. You know, most people look at me like uh, they don't know what to say if they don't know me. You know, like. But those who know know that that would be an impossible test. I don't care if my name was Albert uh, um, um, Poole Einstein. It, would, it still wouldn't work. Uh, by the way, uh, the latest uh, uh, post, has it been put up yet, of my reply to um, the email a few days ago, Mark? Is, is that 
Well, well can I let me start? Let me start here, Barry. Mm-hmm. You made the initial press release that you sent out with the changes that were made. Now, as your new press release, does that change any of that? Does that amend any of those? Or can I talk to you about these new changes with the 128-man field and the $1,000 entry? A lot of good reasons for that. Go right ahead, Mark. Yeah, just, I just wondered where that came from, what made you come to that conclusion. In theory, I believe it makes sense. Well, In theory. Why. Here's why. Everybody, everybody, uh, players, are great fans. Um, um, just everybody, everybody wants to be in one room. That's uh, key. And it was that way um, for uh, so many years, from uh, not only at the Chesapeake Conference Center from 97 through uh, 2011, but even prior to that. Uh, so in 12 and 13, um, uh, we moved the event because of the lack of appreciation we had um, at the time, um, um, you know, with, let's just say, um, we should have been appreciated more to bring worldwide attention, um, televised event to a city that felt um, it wasn't a big deal when nothing else uh, and nothing else that they do for the entire year brings more attention to their city. So, you know, my daughter and I decided to go elsewhere. And the last two years, we did. And But we had to go into um, a, 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 a facility that had two or three or four <coughs> rooms. Well, we all know that was not what we all want. So... When I threw it out there a week ago of asking for, you know, um, asking questions and um, um, wanting suggestions, uh, I don't know at all. Anybody that thinks they do, they're sadly mistaken. I So the, the feedback was wonderful for the most part, but the main factor was to have the event in one room, whether it was uh, 20,000 square feet, or 7,000 square feet. That's what everybody wanted. And that includes myself and, and uh, my staff. And, um, wow, it's just much grander to be in the same room. And remember, I, I had the U.S. Open in that same room from 91 through 95 when it was the Holiday Inn, the exact same 60 by 125 feet to the inch. I know it's the same ballroom, and it worked fabulous then, uh, but the event grew and grew and grew, so we had to go to larger facilities, um, you know, and it wasn't feasible to go back to the Chesapeake Conference Center after 15 years of uh, uh, no charge for rental and then return um, over 2,000 room nights, uh, food and beverage, and worldwide exposure wasn't good enough for them, and they wanted to assess a $35,000 rental fee from zero 15 years. So that when, just, when did they start assessing the $35,000? Um, again, 1997 through uh, 2011, the Chesapeake Conference Center, uh, which was built in eight months, um, 
and uh, January from January to middle of September of uh, 1997, and the U.S. Open was the inaugural event. They built this 51,000 square foot building uh, specifically to have the U.S. Open be the inaugural event, and we were greatly appreciated. And it, the barter was no charge for rent, and in return you you know look at the number of hotel rooms, look at the food and beverage. And uh, let's mention uh, uh, the priceless, um, um, the priceless worldwide exposure through my friend Pat Fleming, AccuStats. Wow, live and tape delayed. So then they right. decided, well, well, we can't do it for free anymore. And um, you know, wow. So they said thirty-five thousand though, thirty-five thousand plus you add the fifty thousand. You're well, 85,000. That's almost uh, impossible it, to cover your nut. It was not almost impossible. You can't cover your nut. So uh, the thing is, they, they said they would give me a special price of a reduced um, for 11 days for 35000 And I said, you've got to be kidding. You know, how do you do this? So, you know, every business has their ups and downs. Every city you know, so it's the way of the world, and it is today. So we, you know, there's no way that could happen. Um, so going back to the Marriott last year, form, formerly the Holiday Inn, um, um, in a quaint uh, 60 by 120 room, and, and we also, in addition, needed another small ballroom behind the main ballroom to house five other tables. You know, and the year before that, we held it at the Holiday Inn near Q Masters, and we were in three and a half ballrooms. So, you know, um, uh, you know that was it, it. Just didn't work. So, when I got all the feedback back, um, um, most I would say nine out of ten were tremendously favorable. The most important thing, uh, people we're saying is uh, one room, one room, one room. Well, right. mathematically, mathematically, Mark, and um, this is on the new press release that's going to be out soon, if not yet, not only um, uh, does it work with nine tables, we can, the event, we can have the event one less full day. It won't start Sunday morning. It will start Monday morning. And Saturday, we're down to our final four. So it's one day less expense. Um, I can still add 50 with 128 players because of less expense going back to a venue that we've already spent a lot of money for electrical upgrades. I can reduce staff by having it in one room, and um, you know, I, I, I really, I really probably use a, a ream of, uh, uh, of of paper uh, uh, to to you know play with numbers for 178,000. And um, so let me ask you, let me ask you this: You said 178,000, and this is not not to cut you off uh, the. Going down to 128 players, a thousand dollar entry. 
Now, obviously, I, you know, I'm not the smartest fellow in the world, but I'm, I'm not stupid either. So I did make a couple of phone calls and asked some opinions, and I've looked at the, what people are saying on the internet, and people have said it's going to be tough to get 128 paying a thousand. How and confident are you on that it's gonna you're gonna be able to fill that bracket? Well, and the reason I say it is there's a lot of dead money that's going away, and you've got for the trip there we're looking at probably somewhere including entry fee two thousand to twenty three hundred. Let me just say this about that. I have factor everything. You know, uh, first place doesn't have to be thirty or thirty five or forty thousand because you know. Um, um, having it at $25,000 this year is um, uh, worth its weight in gold when you are a U.S. Open champion, number one. So you don't have to put more money up top. With that being said, when you have 128 players, nobody on the planet uh, pays past 32. So I wanted to put an exclamation point on it uh, to... Uh, to uh, assure, to assure a full field. And uh, in a minute, I'm going to tell you how confident I am. But when you make 25000 first instead of thirty, that's enough. Um, second place, thirteen instead of fifteen, that's great. But here's the clincher, 33 through 48, you don't get your money back. You get 2000 back now now that's the difference and that's the insurance policy that on the new press release you know everybody knows i'm ballsy so why stop now on the new press release right. i have i have mentioned that i will be glad to post 10k with anybody up that it fills at 128 just Give me a call. We'll find a neutral bank, and I'm willing to post 10K that the event will have 128 players without a wow. doubt. And wow. no, really, Bart, because if, if, if we were only paying 32, that's one thing. If I was only paying um, uh, 33 through 48, their entry back only, that's another factor. So, again, um, I can see where you, I see where you're coming from, Barry. I I, I can see where you're coming have from. Have you looked at the breakdown? I mean, have you actually looked at the prize fund breakdown? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. again, I, I didn't use a ream of paper, but boy, uh, in the morning for two or three hours every morning, um, uh, with a couple cups of coffee and pastries, I do a lot of paperwork, and. Um, I think I have a tweet um, like as good as you can get with the increments of uh, the, the the payoffs. And at 25, 13, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, right on down the line. But 33 through 48, you know, out of 128, getting back 2,000. Well, that's um, an insurance policy to fill it up. And also, in my opinion, and also not only just to fill it up, but to get players from all over the world because you win two matches on the winner's side, you're covered. I mean, you're covered. So um, I, I still feel that we're going to get many, many, many foreign players. I mean, 
come on. Uh, uh, what percent is that of the field? Almost 40% get money back, and not just their entry. So it's uh, you don't have to make it top-heavy. And uh, the main thing is one room, one room. The, and also, the Chesapeake Conference Center setup was truly um, – you couldn't get it much better with the TV table in the middle, and then you had seven tables on one side, eight on the other. So that's what we're going to do. That's what I'm going to do this year at the Marriott. Seven tables on one side and no, eight no. on the other. No, 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 you can't do that. TV table will be in the middle of the room. Remember, both of them are a rectangle. The Chesapeake Conference Center is 100 by 200. The uh, uh, Marriott is 60 by 120. So I'm going back to the same floor plan we had at the uh, conference center for 15 years, TV table center court. And instead of having seven and eight tables on either side, you have four and four. Now every seat in the house is quite intimate, where you can see from one end of the room to the other. And uh, bigger is not always better and many cases, and, um, you know, when, when you can, you know, the floor plan last year, having the TV table on the end of the ballroom was okay. But after giving it more and more thought, you know, trying to figure out a better way, figure out a better way, figure out a better way, uh, wow, with the feedback I got a few days ago, um, I put it, all in perspective of what to do this year. And on the new, newest press release coming out uh, momentarily uh, with my friend Jerry and Mike, AZ Berries, it, uh, it, it spells it out. And if you want to, I'll, I'll breeze through it real quick. Mark, may I do that? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Um, uh, U.S. Open um, nine ball. Thank you all for your replies and concerns on this year's U.S. Open. I have read every post thus far, so allow me to explain. First of all, the most important factor is to have the entire event in one room only, and now by having nine tables in the main ballroom with the same setup with less tables on each side, four on each side, and almost a mirror image of the conference center, viewing for all VIP seats and general admissions will be grand for all. Uh, also, with 128 players max, will allow us to run the event beginning Monday instead of Sunday. One full day less. Match times, uh, this is uh, match times Monday through Friday, 11 a.m., 1, 3, and 5 for the afternoon matches. And then we take a dinner break and we have two and two only primetime matches at 8 and 10. And then we're done, so you can go to bed or go to Q Masters earlier. No late, late, late matches. Eight and ten to prime time Monday through Friday, and then of course Saturday we're down to our final four. My expenses back at the Marriott will be much less compared to years past uh, due to um, so many things, electrical. Uh, uh, less staff and much less to deal with, uh, which will enable me to continue to add 50000 to the purse. Having $1,000 entering fees will, uh, while paying down very deep to 48 
receiving double their entry at 2000 will ensure a field of top players uh, by leaving first place at 25000 is enough for our champion as his endorsements will be worth so much more. The entire $178,000 prize fund breakdown, I have worked through a ream of paper to get it as good as possible, and I believe I have. Uh, I am so certain the field will be full at 128 players. I am willing to post 10K in any bank in America along with any one other person that would like to take me up on this offer, and I am not kidding. Again, we want to be in one ballroom, and now we can, in a room which is 60 by 120 instead of 100 by 200, and everyone will have a fantastic seat. Also, by paying deep, we will still get many good players that may not be superstars of today, and by winning two matches on the winner's side is an automatic $2,000. The payout increments have really um, been spread out attractively. I'm almost done. No one pays past 32 spots with 128 players except for myself. And going 30 uh, uh, through 48 at 2,000, how do you beat that? Lastly, I would like to remind everyone, all players were paid on time last year with all funds coming from the U.S. Open account which will continue again, and 60 days prior, SunTrust Bank was set up along with myself by clicking on to show the 50000 added and all paid entries thus far to be able to view at any time. I have read every post, and I will continue to, and I appreciate your advice as well as your good wishes for the most part. Please give me more fuel, and let's have a great 39th U.S. Open. VIP seats and player entry fees will be available soon. Yours truly, Barry Berman, founder. Very uh, good. I believe, that, I believe that says it all. Yeah, he, he does. He says just about everything. Um, the he actually had a hair on my nose to talk to you about that. You you chose to open up the books so to speak, this year, you know, it's no, you've said it yourself, there's no uh, disguise that, you know, there's been a couple of issues in the past with uh, the... More than a couple. More than with a the, couple. With the players. It's called, it's called trying to do too much when you really can't. You know, my passion is undeniable. But look, you know, and I'm, not, I'm not blaming hurricanes and 9-11s, okay, but that there were a couple uh, factors there. But also... You know, um, you got to face reality. You can't, uh, you know, uh, thank God Q Master Billiards is a phenomenal business. And um, um, I've always been one to want to do as much as I can for the players. And, uh, and you know, uh, and, and, but you have to, sometimes you have to go backwards. Uh, in yeah, order you to a little bit, a little bit of reality of what's actually possible and what you want to do are uh, two different things, maybe you know. You know, um, with 128 players in one smaller room that's laid out just like the conference center with less tables, is just a fantastic setup. Are you going to have room? 
you going to have room for vendors and things like that still? Oh, of course. Uh, uh, as we did last year, we have room for uh, over 20 in, in the hall right outside the main room. But, you know, in one room is what everybody wants. Everybody wants. So if I left the entry fee at 500 okay, uh, which I, I could have, well, and still add 50 well, you, you you would still have to limit the number of players in order to achieve the um, event being in one room. There was no other way to do it, and that's what most people wanted. Now right. they're going to have it, and now are they not only going to have it, Mark, they're going to have the image of anyone that's been to the Chesapeake Conference Center from 97 through 11. Uh, they know that it was the nuts having the TV table and the VIP seats in the middle and tables on each side. So we're going to, I'm going to create the same ambiance that we did for so long. And with the room being smaller, you can see one end from the other. Even now, this is, 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 even is you have an eye issues. So this is going to be at the Marriott, though, in the ballroom of the Marriott, correct? Same. Same place as last year. Is it the same place as you did the U.S. Open, uh, the, sorry, the Hall of Fame dinner? Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I know. I can vision it now. There's a hallway going down and then the uh, big room there at the end. There's two doorways there. I had the event there in 91 for five years. Uh, 91, Buddy Hall won. 92, Tommy Kennedy won. 93, Earl won. 94, Everett won. 95, Reed Pierce won. And I can tell you who they beat in the score right off the top of my head. But <laughs> that room uh, was wonderful. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a rectangle, but it's a smaller rectangle. So the brain's kicking in of how to, you know, and the feedback I got was uh, tremendous support. I mean, I, I can't tell you. I didn't let, know. I did let me ask know. you. I did not know how really the feedback was going to go. I, I, I really didn't. But I have to say it's given me so much um, strength to continue on, and I'll be 68 in 10 days, that um, I'm, I'm really excited when a few weeks ago uh, I wasn't. So... I'm very happy for the support that I've had from nine out of ten um, uh, that I uh, have posted, and uh, it r really means a lot to me. Well, I'm sure you've got a lot of uh, fans and the people who appreciate out there. Like I said, for 39 years of what you've done, bumps in the roads and those kind of things come along. It's not an easy task that you're taking on, but... Uh, no, I know that uh, there's a lot of people that uh, do appreciate plan their vacations around the U.S. Open now. Uh, you know, you know so. that that is uh, very very true. You know, I was um, um, when I was 15 years old, I, I began wrestling in, in high school uh, because I'm a little guy. And um, in the practice room, there was a sign that I read, and I've lived my entire life with these seven words: "Winners never quit." and quitters never win. And that's how I've survived the in this world and I'm not one to quit. And I came very close to I mean extremely close of having a year taking a year's hiatus. Not quitting, but just taking a breather 
for a year. And I really mean it. It, I, it was a hair away from doing that. And then, uh, you know, um, um, I wrote a press release and put out a, a feeler, and, and people um, count on me. Uh, it's, it's really hard to say no. And, of course, then you have people that really either don't know or don't really care for me or uh, whatever. Everybody has their reasons that want to write negative things. But, you know, uh, again, nine out of ten people that really know me, that know how hard I work and have been to the U.S. Open, they, they are the ones that I appreciate the most because they know what's going on. And I work very hard along with many others. And it's no easy task for a little reward. But, uh, you know, thank God for Q Master Billiards. That's all I can say. And the money issue, um, 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 again, um, uh, how important is that? Um, So that will be um, what I just wrote and sent, and people know that it will be in plain view to go to that account and people that have paid and the added money 60 days ahead, it'll be there to prove that it's in my SunTrust U.S. Open account. Every name, every dollar. And, and that'll, be, that'll be there. It'll be available for everybody to see. So based on you you saying that, I, I only thing I can gather is this year there's going to be no involvement with the ABP or the BCA. Um. Well, put it like this, you know, as much as I appreciate support I've had from the BCA, the WPA, ABP, uh, to the good and through the, you know, others, you know, um, look, um, um, I have to prove myself. And last year, um, um, every single dollar of the event. You sound was, a little bit muffled, Barry. Are you... Last year, every single dollar of the event was U.S. Open money and no one else's. So every dollar was paid, everything was handled, and I'm just going to take it upon myself to do the same thing and to and to and to be and to be people to uh, click on to SunTrust, which I've already set up to go to U.S. Open account and see every dollar 60 days out, which includes the 50K added, and any and all of those who have paid their $1,000 entry, plain view, name, how much, every day, I don't care how many times a day, I've already worked that out with SunTrust. So uh, Barry wants to uh, just take care of things um, uh, financially with with myself and that's uh, that's fine that's as I think that's the the point is as long as everybody thinks it's there as long as people know they're not waiting showing up and and things like that they can be seen you know if you can if you're as transparent as possible you know then that's all I think that's all you can do is be as transparent as possible you might be careful though but just as an afterthought I'm sure you're you're a smart man you probably thought this already but Allowing people access somehow to your bank account with your account number and things like that isn't. Uh, no, I see the trust. No, nobody will be able to extort. That's not. 
it, it'll okay. be it'll be uh, U.S. Open nine ball championships account and uh, sixty days out. Uh, the fifty goes in. And any entries that have been paid, because uh, that information will be out soon. But any um, um, if people pay entries starting, who knows? So suppose you know Tommy Kennedy sends in his money next week. All right. Well, um, 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 we'll we'll hold on to that. We'll have everybody's name, and once we are ready to uh, for people to click on. Uh, every name and every thousand and every and all the edit will be there. Again, I appreciate uh, the Whirlpool Association for so many years, and um, I, I hope that they will um, um, be there uh, with me this year uh, and to sanction the event. Um, again, we, we we're we're discussing it. I appreciate what the BCA has done. Uh, I know they appreciate what I've done to help with their Hall of Fame, gladly, and I appreciate the WPA, I mean the uh, AVP also, uh, 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 to assure things financially, but it's, it's you know, it's my time to prove it um, by myself, me, myself, and I, all three of us, and um, I'm not going to um, not have SunTrust already said, no problem. And no problem. And there's no worries about people being, you know, being able to extort money out. That's that was the first question I asked. So you know, SunTrust is. Uh, um, I, I was with Wachovia 28 years, and when they changed over to Wells Fargo, they were um, more into a corporate business. Well, I like dealing with banks that deal with with small businesses owners like myself and um, so they are able to do this there's no way anybody can take a dime out and it's it'll be set up that way but the main thing is people to know that the money is there and that right. the money is there at the end and I just want to do it um, um, with all three of me myself and I and uh, I do appreciate everybody and I hope everybody comes, and I hope they get support um, from um, from the WPA, from the ABP, and the BCA. Isn't that what it, you know? Isn't that what it's supposed to be about, rather than you know bickering and arguing? You know, pool players are are you know are not making uh, money they should. Uh, look how well bowling's doing. Oh my God! You know what's wrong? You know, with the game of pool uh, in America, especially, but also all over the world, and it's just a crying shame. And I, you know, I just want to do my part and and stick to it. Better late than never, but I have had some tough years along the way of unexpectedness and uh, trying to add more and trying to do more. And having more expenses and more payroll and more this and more that by downsizing, uh, not just with players, because this pool room will be packed full of road players anyway. So people will be coming. Uh, 128 will be playing, but many others will be coming for other reasons, as we know. So... I feel very good about this year's U.S. Open, Mark, and I think uh, 
I've, I've, uh, I haven't crossed every T or dot every I, but I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm doing okay so far with everything that uh, I've written, and the replies again were most favorable, and I did not know it, what they would be. I didn't know people would say, "Barry, you need to retire. You need to go." live your life uh, in somewhere else in the world and you know but that that wasn't the case and uh, I, I'm very grateful for that and I'm going to continue on well that's great and uh, I think we're all thankful to have the US Open around and uh, appreciate your efforts and everything else and I appreciate you coming on here and uh, spending your time running your mouth at me and uh, and our listeners to can I put some things in perspective maybe a little bit and can I explain how you feel on things? And uh, hopefully I'll be able to make it to Q Masters at least. I'll go make it to the U.S. Open and uh, maybe the first drink's on you. Well, absolutely. you kidding me? But no, <laughs> I wanted to reply to the press release just from a few days ago. Uh, there were 30, 35 um, uh, suggestions and uh, uh, most, and mostly appreciations and things of that nature. And I tell you, um, um, I feel very good about um, um, you know, the groundwork thus far. I feel um, uh, appreciated, and that's the most important thing. If you can't feel the love, then, you know, why why do it? And yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of work if you don't get any kind of love back in, in return. I mean, I know you you didn't really begin doing this for for that, but the you know at some point it's nice to be appreciated. And you know you've it, like you've said, and you know it's common knowledge you've had your bumps in the road, but it looks like you're trying to make a comeback here and take care of everything yourself. And uh, I'm sure my, 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 I do myself and. Uh, and most other people, I think, wish you the best of luck and continuing. And I can't wait to see, listen to this, I can't, being the person that you are, I can't wait to see 2015's U.S. Open, 40 years. you got to think, there's got to be something special in plan for you there, right? Well, look, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's get through this year. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what they say, life begins at 40? <clears throat> yeah. You're right. But honestly, um, honestly, of course, you know, you, you know, people can write whatever they want. People can say whatever they want, and it's their choice, you know. But um, and, and there's been many uh, good and not uh, so good. Some I've deserved, some I haven't. But last year's uh, payouts, um, every dime was. Uh, U.S. Open money and nobody else's. And yes, um, I reached out for support and to try to unify uh, pool players and different organizations. But the bottom line was the U.S. Open account took care of every dollar for every player that paid, even though I had help with the ABP. I put that together to unify the sport, but uh, there was no financial involvement with anybody else other than 
myself. Right. That and wasn't my question. And, and that wasn't my, my question, women, Barry. Women, you're, you're going off again. Wait a minute. And my sponsors. Go ahead. <laughs> you're going off again on your own tangent. The, the well, 40 I, years, 40-year anniversary, what are you going to do? Are you going to do something special? Well, let's have a great... Well, you know, listen, uh, I, I remember... Uh, I have an I have a elephant's brain. Thanks. I don't. Thanks. I'm glad I don't have an elephant's body. But I remember things that are in, it's like incomprehensible to remember. Um, I can spat off every year who won from day one. I can. Um, I remember the 25th anniversary. I remember the 30th anniversary. I remember the 35th anniversary. Uh, I remember every year, and I can't wait to re to. I can't wait to, you know, look back and remember the 40th anniversary. And um, um, I would love to be uh, above ground for the 50th. And after that, I don't care. So, uh, you know, uh, I am looking forward to uh, the 40th. But, uh, you know, uh, you have to try different things. And that's what I'm doing this year year with the entry with the number of players because people have mentioned in their remarks a lot about um, the field at 128 128 128 no one mentioned you know paying more to play but you know uh, I'll take the blame for that but by doing so and tweaking the paint payoff of the breakdown uh, through 48, I believe that's going to be the clincher. And again, fans, anybody out there, if you love me or not, uh, uh, put up 10. Tell me what bank to put it in, and uh, and let's do this. And wow. Mark, I'm not kidding. I know, I, I know you're not. I know you're not. I feel very well, confident about that. I don't see... I don't see how it could not be, especially with the breakdown being um, um, like it is. Right. Well, it's, you know, I can see the advantages as well. There's the disadvantage. I can, I can see both sides of the thing. Obviously, you research, and so you're going to uh, have an inside scoop on it, uh, I guess, uh, obviously more than uh, me or probably anybody else. But I've got to cut us short. We've got to go. Hey, uh, sometimes less is more. Right. And, Mark, I know you have to go, and so do I. I want to thank you very much for you and what you do and for all your viewers and listeners. And, um, you know, again, two weeks ago, I was in a state of limbo, and now I'm not. And uh, watch out. But uh, uh, it's, 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 it's... my time to 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 prove things by myself, and that's what I'm going to do. And I hope I still get support from the Whirlpool, the BCA, and the ABP, because we're all in this together. I agree. I've had many shows on on this exact same topic. And hopefully I can have you back on here again as we move closer to the uh, U.S. Open as things start progressing. Uh, Hopefully we can have you back on the show. 
can I leave you with this? Joe Blackburn, I got to leave you with this. Joe Blackburn, my dear buddy, for uh, he's been a vendor of mine. We all know and love Joe. I text Joe earlier today, and I asked him, have you read the press release, and what do you think? While we were just talking, I got a text from him. It says, look at it. I think it's a great idea since we don't have much room, can't make players happy uh, anyway. Love, Barry. Um, I know you want to do your best for pool, and good luck. See you at the Open in 2014. Um, uh, this is from my dear friend Joe Blackburn. And, uh, he, he, again, uh, he, he thinks it's a good idea. Uh, with the room that we have to do this with. And, of course, we all know it's hard to make everybody happy. Yeah, Joe, Joe's uh, been around a few U.S. Opens, hasn't he? So he uh, since, 84, since 84. Yeah, so he knows, he knows what he's uh, talking about as well. Yeah, and I just got this. So uh, if Joe thinks it's good... Um, you know that's most appreciative because Joe means a lot to me and uh, we're, we're dear friends. And uh, he's a, he's been with me since '84. My God, it's a long Lord. time, isn't it? How in the hell does that happen? Like, but anyway, uh, Joe's a great guy, and Mark, so are you. And I, I thank you for your time tonight. Thank you very much, Barry. I appreciate having you, and hopefully we can do this again real soon. And uh, I will speak to you again. Again, thank you for what you do, and I've enjoyed this a lot. Thank you, sir. Speak to you again. Thank you, buddy. Have a great night. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for American Billion Radio for this week. 